Welcome to I've Got One, a podcast for the stories that define us. I'm Jim O'Connell. And I'm Andy Sharavsky. And on this second episode of the podcast, I feel like we still need to kind of explain it to people. Well, it's a show for stories that are kind of pivotal in a person's life. Yeah, and they could be like huge and super earth shattering or really small, but still shape the person that you are. And I think this one fits into that category. Yeah, for sure. We have two people this week and it was really, really fun recording with them. It was awesome. My name is Jesse Leahy. Um, I am from Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C. I'm uh, Joe Schumacher. I uh, also grew up in Virginia, outside Washington, D.C. A lot of people describe me as kind of a man-child or a kid that won't grow up. And I'm, I'm an avid hockey fan. I am also a fellow uh, freak Washington sports fan. And, uh, and and big Virginia Tech fan. Yeah, I've known Joe now for almost 15 years or so. Uh, went to high school together, and our friendship was formed over late night, five in the morning, Madden 2006 for the Nintendo GameCube. And still to this day, only play Madden 2006, even though it's 2017. Which is really just absurd because that's the most difficult one to play and not in like an enjoyable way whatsoever. But uh, yeah, Jesse and I became friends over those uh, late night games, which featured actually my family would buy like Costco, like these giant like packages of deli ham and deli roll and like thick, thick cheddar cheese. And we would just like make these sandwiches at like midnight and then play. It's amazing. Our hearts didn't stop in our sleep. Like that was. But anyway, that's that's how I got to know Jesse, just bonding over old, difficult Madden and eating pounds and pounds of ham late at night. If you could title this story you're about to tell us, what would be the title? Haley's Comet. Took the words right out of my mouth. You know, this one is definitely Haley's Comet. This story took place uh, in in like 2000, from 2005 to 2000, 2004 to 2007. Summertime. Summertime. Um, uh, we both went to college in in Virginia. I went to Radford University, and Joe went to Virginia Tech. We both lived in Northern Virginia during the summers, and somehow I don't even remember how, but I found this job. I think my dad was like, "Oh, so and so knows this this job. You'd be really good at. It's just for the summer. It's a seasonal thing." And I was like, cool, what's what's the job? And he was like, uh, it's, it's painting fire hydrants, which I was like, all right. It was technically, it was like a government internship through like the Fairfax County government. And it was like, I, I don't know why, but uh, it, it was fire hydrant painting. I remember the job, I looked up the job, it was like hydrant painter, like level one. There was level one and then there's no other level beyond that. <laughs> The job was you had to paint 25 fire hydrants a day. That was the job. And it was an eight hour day, sometimes an 11 hour day. And they gave us this giant map with these little red dots, like a section of the county and these little red dots. And it was like, your job for the day is to go and they would circle a certain section of the map, these 25 hydrants. So we had to go, like, it was like the original Pokemon Go, except yeah. every Pokemon was a little fire hydrant and it was <laughs> extremely boring. I don't know if you know how long it takes to paint of 25 hydrants. I think if you're doing it efficiently, it probably takes about an hour and five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that's that's probably a, about right. E efficiently is an interesting choice of words because I feel like 
when I first started doing it, I was like so careful, you know, because you got to think about all the different facets of the hydrant, right? The process of painting it is kind of like, it's like jazz. <laughs> <A little bit>. <laughs> <laughs> Find a hydrant. Sometimes they were in the back of the woods. Sometimes they were just right there on the street and we'd see it. We'd pull up the truck. It was like this crusty pickup truck with no rear view mirrors. Turn to the music so you can hear it when you're outside painting. Keep those doors wide open, get some breeze going through the car. You go to the back of the truck and you would unhinge it and it made it this distinct sound. It's like, We had a wire brush. Scrape all that like old paint off of there. Good mention of the wire brush. You got the, the, the you know the knobs on the side with the bolts. Then you have the top of, of the hydrant, and then you have the the center like disc section there where like the fire hose would connect, right? So one person would be in charge of the knobs. We'd have that discussion like, do you want to yeah. be a knob man today, or are you doing the full body? So like we, that was a big thing. Like some people were really good at painting the knobs because you had to get around the edges. I was usually doing the red because I'm more just of a slather it on kind of kind of guy, you know. Chinese red or, or fire engine red, or there was a specific name. It for was it. Chinese red. It was it was Chinese red. Was what it's. I, that's what it said on the can. We had hundreds of like paint, like gallons of paint, and they're like Chinese red, and then the uh, the silver paint. And this is important. Is an aluminum based paint. And if you've never worked with aluminum based paint before, you only need a little to cover a large, large area. If you had like a portion that was like the size of a quarter, it could cover the area probably of like a sheet of paper almost. Half of it was silver, half was red. So you had to get the chain and make sure it wouldn't drip and then someone would get the red. The red was usually a little bit more taxing because if you envision like the body of the hydrant, it's got more like strange edges and writing and different things like that. So it was, it usually took a little bit longer, but because that red paint didn't run the way the silver paint did, it would be a lot more forgiving. Well, one guy I worked with had, had a signature too. He would finish the paint, finish the body, and he always wrote K-R. His name was Kyle. Just K-R. And we could, we could do something real pretty if we really put our minds to it. Got me hankering to paint one right now. Like, <laughs> I, like I got this weird like little tingle. Like I was like, oh, I haven't painted a good hydrant in a while. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Whenever I go back or whenever I'm in town, if I see one with like chipped paint, oh, like it makes for a while, so mad, doesn't it? It, does, like, it for makes a while. Me, it makes me pissed. It, it, you see one that's been sitting out in the sun for years, like without any like adoration, and you're like, like I need to like get that Chinese red, and I need to get that you know thin aluminum paint and just like lather it. If you've never been to Northern Virginia, it's very suburban. It's like houses, schools, and then like weird government buildings, basically. And you you think each one of them is a front for like the CIA or, or Area 51. Yeah, <laughs> they legitimately are. So this Water Authority building was in the middle of that, but like hidden down a long windy road. And you had to enter this passcode or show your name, your, your badge, and it would this giant fence would open. And you'd pull into the parking lot and you'd stumble in, it would still be dark. 
and you would see all these water authority trucks. So they all said water authority on them. Dump trucks and pickup trucks. Water authority cranes. Vans, backhoes. It was like a mystery machine type, like water authority thing. Like so many different types of vehicles. I remember it being very like shocking my first day because it's like it's very reminiscent of like like the Dharma initiative or something like that because everyone's wearing like the same blue like Fairfax water t-shirt like so like a clean like Fairfax water t-shirt with like the logo everyone we had to wear uh, like brown like work pants and then like steel toe boots that was like a big requirement it, it was kind of you know intimidating I suppose in a way because it was all these different men that had worked there for God knows how long, you know, generally mostly older. You were under the assumption that they had worked there for about 65 years, even if they were like 40. Like they had stories upon stories upon stories. And you're like, wait, where am I? Like what, you know, what what kind of like government organization, government cult did I just, did I just join here? They called us the summer help, um, which was always very funny. Like, oh, here comes the summer help. So we were always grouped together and called the Summer Help by this crew of men. It really was like a, a lame version of the X-Men. The whole place was run by this guy named Matt Brown. Everyone's getting assigned by Professor X, who's Matt Brown in this story. But then it was like the next level crew, like the assistant managers. I'm just gonna list off some names real quick. We got Chucky Poles. He had a goatee that came off his chin in two different strands. A poor man samurai. We had Jeff Bland. Probably almost seven feet tall, I want to say. We had Tommy Ryder, Timmy Witt. We had Johnny Hopper. We had Matt Baby, who was this guy who kind of looked like a baby. Like He looked like a full-grown baby. He just had such a rotund, like, jelly head. Like, he wasn't fat at all. He was a lean man. But it's like they just superimposed just the fattest Gerber baby head like onto a man's body and put <laughs> facial hair like just taped it on like that's <laughs> and his name was Matt Baby like you can't make this shit up. These are all real people we had to take orders from. It's like like everyone was a something e like every name ended with a y and these are like fifty year old men. Yeah, I mean, there was, there was two things, you know, kind of like coming off of that that were constants throughout the entire summer. And then, in fact, like across all the years that we worked at the Water Authority, they couldn't get any of our names right till like the day we left. And we were there for like probably like four years or so, and they wouldn't get any of our names right. And then they would also uh, always tell us like rules without explanation you knew existed because something bad had happened to a summer help previously before. But like one of the classic names that like Jeff would call us all the time and be like, hey, Lawrence. And we'd be like, who is is Lawrence? There's no Lawrence among the, the four of us. Right, like, yeah, uh, like there's, there's, like you said, there's four of us and like everyone called us Lawrence. Like no matter what we looked like, and we, we all looked very different, but we were all Lawrence. And, and we did find out that there was a Lawrence who I think was probably the first summer help ever. And and like Joe was saying about the rules, that so we kept hearing about these rules, the number one rule they always told the summer help was don't go in the hole. Whatever you do, don't go in the hole. If there was a hole they were digging to like fix a main break, it was don't go in the hole. And we found out at one point uh, that apparently Lawrence one time went down in the hole and a rock fell on his head. <laughs> so 
So I think we had a theory that Lawrence died in a hole somewhere <laughs> in Fairfax County, Virginia, because a rock fell on his head and and they like just buried him. <laughs> Come into the compound, you sit in this room, and it's incredibly, incredibly early. Half the lights are on, <laughs> half the people are hungover, other people are getting coffee. There's other people coming back from some sort of night shift that are like finishing up their day that were yeah. like, what are, what are you guys doing? So Matt Brown would, would, would give his uh, kind of the day's agenda for everybody. And while he would do this, like almost every morning, he would, there was like a, a pillar in, this, in the meeting room and he would walk over to it. And as he's talking, just kind of scratch his back against it like a big bear. All right, guys, you guys are going to be on Water Main 4. You guys are going to be with the Hydrant Payton crew. All right, and then uh, you guys are going to be tearing up. And we're going down to Lawyer's Road. Lawyer, did anybody get Lawyer's Road? Man, I got that. That, that I, I'm just going to use his words, if that's okay. It's like, I got a wench calling me every three weeks about that that main on Lawyer's Road. And if we don't get out there and fix it, I'm going to have voicemail for days. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's true. Like, every single person who called to complain about either their water, a, a main break, a fire hydrant not being painted, was a wench. That was <laughs> that was a thing at the Water Authority. Like, they all... And that was male or female. It didn't <laughs> matter. That was just his curse word of choice was just wench. Just sometimes it even got thrown in as a verb. It's like, look, look at them wenching over there. Like they're wenching over here and there. I'm like, I, all I heard was seatbelt and wench this morning, Jesse. What are we supposed to be doing for work? <laughs> then came our kind of task. We were dismissed. We had our map section circled. And it was the four of us, me, Joe, our friend Reeves, a very good friend, Norwood Reeves McElveen III, uh, who was her very good friend growing up. And then there was this guy uh, named John. And John had a father who worked for the, the, the higher up portion of the company. So there was like the, the water authority, like main building where they did like the payroll and, you know, dealt with the, the big wigs all that worked there and his dad worked there. So he got this job through his father. So his three very good friends and then John. And John was a very interesting guy because he, we all had kind of our, our painter's pants, you know, normally, you know, you know, belted around our waist. He had these things like up to his nipples, like ready to go. Uh, he had a very high-pitched voice. He'd be like, hi, I'm John. He just became Trollo over time. Like, that just became the nickname. I think the best way to describe him is when we would, you know, get into our trucks, we'd want to listen to music, and he'd be like, actually, you know what? I was really hoping that we could put in this new book on tape I got about the Civil War. The Battle of Vicksburg was truly a turning point for the Confederate Army. And you'd be like listening to this like all day long in like 95 degree heat. The shadows of the wars of the Battle of Manassas. I think we're, if I'm being fair, we're pretty reasonable get along with, with anybody type of guys. 
but you just try and make simple conversation with this guy and you'd get the most asinine and frustrating responses of any human being I've ever talked to. I'd be like, oh, John, so, all right, you're a senior in college, you know, what What do you think you want to do for work afterwards? Or just trying to get to know you small time. I like, actually, Joe, I'd like to be a man about town. And I was like, what? This is day one, okay? I just <laughs> met this person. He took, he took, uh, the tone of his voice took, took uh, issue with the fact that I was asking him about like what his career aspirations were, number one. And, and number two, the fact that he gave me the man about town answer. So I, I think I, I just kind of went back to it. It was like, I, I was like, can you, can you clarify that? And he was like, I see myself being the provincial leader of a small township or municipality. Some place that, you know, I can really enjoy old world values and raise my children and my wife can stay at home. And like, uh, it was like, he had a detailed response, like grounded in like 1860s politics for like <laughs> the direction of his life. Like, he really did. And like, I want to say Joe's exaggerating, but he is not. And like another thing that this guy would do is like he had this this girlfriend, Annie. Ah. And Annie was spending the summer in London. So we'd be another thing we would do, we'd be sitting in that the hot trucks, we'd be listening to the books on tape about like Ulysses as Grant's like taking a shower. Uh, and like he would be he would whip out stationery, like like parchment paper and like a red pen. And like it didn't have a feather tip to it, but I think it's because he ripped it off because he knew that would be taking it too far and like didn't want but like it was a feather tipped like quilt pen. And he would write letters to Annie. Like in the hot truck. He would sit there just writing like, oh, I'm writing, you know, a sound. You know, like he would tell us kind of what he was writing about. Like he would update her on where he was, like what chapter he was in the, the Civil War book on tape. He would take a pass on actually painting the hydrants. We don't have strong work ethic in this job <laughs> whatsoever. But when some like one tells you that like they can't help you paint a hydrant, which is kind of a lot easier with two people because you got to take the whole thing out of the back and you got to, you know, have the paint and the trucks and everything. They're like, oh, I can't help you with that doing our job job during work hours because I'm writing an 18th century love letter to my <laughs> girlfriend in London. You're like, what is your problem? <laughs> yeah, I remember one time, we, I think three of us were in a truck together and we, we parked in a cul-de-sac and he was like, do you mind if we, we stop here for a minute? He's like, I, we're like, okay. So he like gets out and he changes into like running shorts. So he's like, he brought with him tennis shoes, running shorts. And, and we're like in a cul-de-sac with like the forest in front of us. That's it. Like some, and uh, we're like, okay. So he puts on these shoes. He's like, I'm going to go for a run. And like, he just sprints off into the woods. We're parked in a hot car. Like, what are we doing? Why are we waiting here while he's running through the woods? And I remember we're sitting there and we're just like, we don't see him for a while. And then we see this like blur of, of blue, like the blue Fairfax water shirt, just like whew, running through the woods. And we see a deer and he's just like chasing a deer through the woods. I can't make that up <laughs> if I tried. In, once you've seen this like beanpole like man from the 1800s chasing a deer through the woods of northern suburban Virginia, you can't unsee that. <laughs> yeah. And like, that was the thing. So it's like, like I said, three very good friends. And then John, so in the morning, it was like, we had to take turns working with this guy. And like, 
I mean, we were we were nice to him. Like we're we're not like we weren't picking on him. We were never like bullying him or anything. But it was just like you know, three good friends, and then another person. It's like that fourth wheel, and you wish it could have just been the three of you working together, but you had to split off in the twos. So. This particular day in question, um, it was me and, and Norwood Reeves McElveen III together in one truck. And then it was Trollo and Joe in another truck. I'm riding with Trollo, so it's already, like, not, you know, not the, not the best kind of day. Like, the way these Water Authority days work, it's like, if I'm with, like, Jesse or Reeves, it's kind of like school, like, hot lunch day. Like, that day is going to be, like, Philly Steak and Cheese Day or, like, Pizza Day. And then, like, you get a Trollo dough, and it's like, oh, fish sticks. Damn. <laughs> You're just like, no, it's not what I wanted today. So I have a Trollo day. So the way we would do it, uh, they, you know, they went to their area. They had a different circled area on the map. And then me and Reeves had a different area. And we would only really contact if we wanted to meet up for lunch or something. It was kind of like, okay, we'll see you guys, you know, later in the day. Otherwise, if you want to get lunch, we're in kind of the same neighborhood. We'll do that. We're going about the business, you know, of the morning as, as we normally have discussed, you know, as we've discussed about getting ready and stuff like that. And Trollo just seems like he's in a funk. And I guess he had, like, for this one brief day, had taken some sort of hiatus from 18th century communication and had allegedly been texting with Annie a little bit. So we head out there, you know, to our, our first neighborhood and we're just, you know, painting and stuff like that. And for most of the time, he's like, uh, he's not really helping me. I'm like, do you want to do it? And he's just like, no, I'm fine in the truck. And I'm like, I don't really care. It's early in the morning. It's like, I put the music on, I'm doing the red and the silver. I'm just taking my time. I'm just not like that worried about it. I, I get back in the truck and he's just like visibly upset. And I'm like, are like, you okay? Like what's, what's going on? And he was like, it's, just between me and Annie. Just leave me alone. Leave me alone, Joe. It's none of your business. It's none of your affairs. That's what it was. And I was like, you just referred to your relationship as affairs. Like if he could have like angrily shuffled parchment paper, it's like the only thing that would have made it better is like if he did that, tightened his monocle and like stormed out of the truck. So we're just going along with that. And we get to the top of this cul-de-sac and it's a really nice neighborhood. Not, you know, like one of the Northern Virginia neighborhoods that's like full of like McMansions and stuff like that, but just a really wealthy, classy kind of, you know, neighborhood where it's like really unique, you know, brick homes that have been there for probably like 20, 30 years. You can tell that everyone really takes a lot of pride in this neighborhood and its appearance, how it looks. It's probably why we're painting it that day because it's kind of one of the higher priority neighborhoods, make sure everything looks nice. So I, I get ready to start painting the hydrant and John gets out this time. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe he wants to do some some work and help out a little bit. He gets out and he just like starts going about like the hydrant, but like in like a really rough, like fast kind of aggressive way. Like he's just taking out the box and he's like, ah, this goes over here. And like, I'm like, dude, if you're like having an issue, I, I got it. Like it's no big deal. And he like slams the box down in the grass and just starts going about painting a hydrant like 
as angrily as someone can paint a fire hydrant. Like, like imagine that hydrant is like a kickboxing dummy and he's just going to beat the shit out of it with like these paintbrushes. So he's like painting and painting and painting and doing this whole thing like a maniac, not talking to me. And he just goes about it and I was like, okay. And then he goes to the back of the truck with, with the box and everything like that. And he takes it and he slams it down on the tailgate. So we've got the red paint, the the silver paint, everything there. And he takes the, the silver paint. Normally, there's like a whole kind of procedure. It's kind of a little pain in the butt, but you put the lids back on the paint. You put them back in the box. You load everything in. He just takes the paint and he just puts it like loosely like on the tailgate, like straddling it in, in the paint can. And I'm like, John, like, what, what are you, what are you doing? You know, this is, uh, you know, we need to do the procedure and everything like that. And he's like, it doesn't matter, Joe. And he gets in the driver's seat and slams the door. And I'm like, what, what is happening? So before I can figure anything else out, I'm like, okay, well, it looks like he's leaving. So I, like, I jump in like the passenger seat and we start just like going down this hill like this cul-de-sac so it's just like all these beautiful homes nice cars everything like that and john starts speeding he's going like this is a cul-de-sac with an n and he's going probably about 35 miles per hour like in this neighborhood which is not crazy fast but if you saw the particular piece of street we're on was was pretty darn quick. And he doesn't see that there's just this huge speed bump at the bottom of the cul-de-sac. And this is this old rickety truck with no shock absorbers or anything at all. And he just slams into that speed bump, just like just like a cannonball, just wrecking like a whole Confederate army, like right there, <laughs> like just the whole thing. And just like, it slams. And then he goes around the cul-de-sac and he does one of these. Like he's just like freewheeling. Like, you know, when you have like both hands and you're just like whipping a vehicle around. That's what he does to get to. So like the cul-de-sac, he's going around in a circle. The next hydrant we need to do is over here. And he's just whipping this truck around after hitting the speed bump. And we get to the hydrant and it's just like, he's like sweaty and tense. Like he just had like a fight with himself. And he's just like, kind of like, panting and I'm like what is what is wrong with this human like on every level and I just got out of the truck and then I just I just saw it so me and Reeves are I think that day we were eating lunch I think we were eating Chipotle and uh we get a call and we get a phone call from Joe can you just do that call kind of back and forth? Uh, <laughs> I love that I'm picking up my phone right now. Like, you can see that. Like, like, this is a podcast. But you and I both, it sir. Hey, Jesse, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good, Joe. Uh, just eating lunch, it's hot. What do you up to? Uh, well, uh, we had... We had a little bit of a, a issue. Um, uh... Where are you guys? Uh, we're we're in Chipotle. What do you mean? Where are you guys? Well, uh, we're we're uh, over just I think a little bit west of 
Franklin Farms. Um, where, where are you exactly? Uh, we're up on Vale Road. Uh, what's, uh, uh, what do you, what, why are you calling? Would you, do you need help? Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, that would be good. That, that would be preferred. Um, do you have, do you have the same map I do? Because if you could just, if you guys, yeah, if it's no big deal. If you guys could just get over here, like, right now, that would be great. Okay, we'll be there in a little bit. So we, we look over on the map, we find out where they are, and we, we drive over there. And we, we turn the corner to the supposed cul-de-sac where they are, and literally we both have to, like, shield our eyes a little bit. Like, we're, we're turning the corner, we're both kind of like, oh, man, like, this, it's really bright over here. And, like, the brightness passes a little bit. And I remember I see Joe on his hands and knees with that wire brush. This paint spill, it was the, the aluminum paint that we mentioned earlier, the very thin aluminum paint was what spilled. Hit the back of the truck, and the back of this pickup truck had like a half inch ridge. You know how pickup trucks have those kind of like grips on the ground. So I guess the paint had spread out, and like a giant rake almost, the paint was then running down these, these like little mini like creeks, basically. So it spread out, was running down, came out the back of the truck, so it's coming down like a waterfall. So I guess when they're speeding through and doing a U-turn, there's just a waterfall of thin aluminum paint that's impossible to get up, coating this entire cul-de-sac. So I'm talking a giant cul-de-sac covered in silver. It's like <laughs> so much paint and you have a one inch wire brush just pathetically scrubbing it. And we were like, dear God. it doesn't stop spreading. So like even by the time they've gotten there, it's still spreading out further and further and further and it's just creeping in all directions. So it's covered the grass. So there's like there's like pockets of just like silver grass on people's lawns, their driveways, it's like seeped into that. It's on the cul-de-sac. It's coating the bottom of the, like their Mercedes, like cars, like the cars are getting like the tires. Like if you imagine like, you know, there's like Land Rover, Mercedes, BMW, it's all like a wealthy neighborhood. And like the bottom quarter inch of their cars, like the rims, the tires and everything are just covered in this <laughs> silver paint. It's, it's, we're trying to like just survey like we can't do anything and there's just damage everywhere. There's silver paint cascading like into this like drainage that's like warning like do not dump like river yeah. tributary like wildlife preserve no, area. Was, like This was the thing I first noticed when I see you scrubbing. I see a, an old woman coming out of her house like seeing the shiny street and then I look over and see the paint running into this drainage Joe's talking about and there's a big sign that it says like water runs to the Chesapeake Bay watershed like keep you know clean no like dump. a giant like happy salmon on it with like <laughs> all these warnings of like do not dump trash or chemicals of any sort into this it really was and a there happy is salmon. just a Niagara Falls of the most toxic paint in the world just cascading straight into the bay we get there right when the people are like coming out to start screaming. So Reeves is pissed that you called us out there because number one, now we're part of this. Um, this woman's like, oh my God, the watershed, the blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I need numbers. She's like cursing, screaming. And then people are like coming out like, what the hell? Oh my God, my Mercedes. And it's like, we're just standing there like 
deer that John's chasing in headlights. It's just like the saddest version of like Wizard of Oz ever. It's like we're in this golden silver city. These like four <laughs> blue mutants that just descended on their neighborhood and ruined their entire lives in a span of five minutes. And Troll is just sitting there like an angry turd in the truck. So then it's like, Obviously, we have to call Matt Brown and the Jeff Blands and the Chucky Poles and the Johnny Hoppers and the Tommy Riders and the Tim Witz. It's and time we have to bring out the artillery of the $5 X Men. It's like Mad Max. People are coming up over the hill, and it's just a brigade of these crusty trucks. You got the crane, you got the, the, the tow truck, you got the water authority, like beat up pickup truck and cargo van. They're, every vehicle they had, I think there was like, it's, you're gonna water authority helicopter. It's like one of the old school, like, Transformers cartoon episodes where it's like every vehicle you've ever seen just like rolling out, combined with like men in black. Like, they're, they're coming in to clean and like destroy all the evidence and like talk to all the neighbors. Like, but even they got there and it was just like, oh. <laughs> like, it was, it's hard to describe how much paint was spilled. We all refer to that incident as Halo's Comet because it, the way that the paint twirled, the way he was spinning around the cul-de-sac, there was a giant circle in the middle of the cul-de-sac that was just just complete circle full of, of chrome paint. And then leading off of that was this giant shining tail. Like you would see Halo's Halley's Comet in the sky every whatever, 200 years or whatever it is. I probably butchered that. But you see this shining thing, and like back in the day when the early humans didn't know what that was, like they just thought it was like the gods or they thought it was a sign. But like this community of rich people looked out their windows and looked down and saw, like if you looked from above, it was a comet. I mean, it was a giant, probably the size of an actual comet. Like this, again, <laughs> this was an, ins for one can of paint, The I can't even fathom it. You can't, I can't explain how big it was, but like, the perfect tail coming off it from the spin, from when it initially started drifting to the rotating thing. It was, it was actually beautiful. We never really re truly found out what that conversation with, with Trollo and Annie was, but I, I wonder, like, that is the mystery that will always be there with, with, with this massive spill that, you know, the spill that causes thousands of dollars of damage. Um, what that actually was, like, what could it have been? What, what would, anger you to the point that you would just do something that just makes absolutely no sense. It's just, it was just plain dumb. Like who puts a loose can of paint on, on a tailgate? And I blame myself too. Why didn't I stop him? I don't, I, I think I was just too. <laughs> That's the part of the story I don't really understand. Like you are, you are at fault in this <laughs> just as much as he is. <laughs> I think we should keep the focus on John, That's really. <laughs> We've tried to look up John since just out of curiosity and there's very little evidence of just his general existence. We found him up to a point I think it was like 2011 or 2012 and we found that he was running for the mayor of the town of Fitchburg. He had been chasing his dream of being like a man about town. <laughs> we found out that he did lose that and then we could not find any updates on him since. Uh, so we don't know what happened to him post losing the, the mayor, you know. But to, to that point, all that digital evidence, no, no evidence of Annie. We couldn't, we were too afraid to touch paint after that. I think we were a little bit traumatized. It was, it was twofold because it's like we were traumatized to paint, but then also knew that 
we really can't do anything to get fired. Like, because I mean, well, other stories for other times, but we crashed trucks. Mm-hmm. We had truck accidents. We ran a truck into a gate once. <laughs> like, we, I mean, the paint spill was probably the most costly property damage we call. And we're like, if we still have these jobs after that, I, I really don't think there's anything we can do to lose this job. No, and it, it kind of ruined working for me in general from that point on because like we did get a little lazy towards the end and it's like i'm getting paid to kind of just do nothing and then it kind of work ethic wise it kind of messed with me a little bit um the one uh thing that i wanted to come back to is in my head is like with the whole paint spill story i feel like everyone has those moments where like something so catastrophic happens and then you realize like you just you have to go on. I'm fired. Like I'm like, what did I do? Like, yeah. I feel like having one of those moments and then realizing, like, well, I guess it was fine. Like, is yeah. like a big thing. I think the only other thing that struck me was the moment you were like, I'm gonna get fired when you're young. Like, I got fired from a serving job once, and I was a terrible server. Like, right. I should have been fired. But like, I just this feeling of like, I've never been fired from anything before in my life, and like. I'm like, a good, I'm a good student, but it's like, no one cares. Like, you're, yeah. you're bad at serving or like you fuck something up. Like, right. <laughs> you come in with that misconception that like your success in other areas carries over to right. this. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like having like good grades in school does no. not make you a good fire hydrant painter or a good server no. or anything else. Or really anything necessarily. That's kind of a good wake up moment yeah. to be like, oh shit, like this is bad. Yeah. It was, it was neat to be surrounded for the most part, not all of them, but by like by like guys, because this was something that like I feel like I'm not very adept at. That could just do like anything with their hands. Like somebody's mm-hmm. truck could be broken, and it like all five of them would go over there, and they could like fix it in like 15 <laughs> minutes, you know. And it's it was interesting to be around people that were so adept to like working with their hands and working technically and stuff yeah. like that. And there's some ways I missed that. I mean, there's what? something to be said for the fact that like. They never have like any emails, phone calls, people to get back to, like get caught up. It's like, it's all work with your hands and it's like, you know when it's done, you know? Thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks so much. If you are just joining us this week and you want to listen to episode one, you're welcome to do that or not. I can't tell you what to do. Yeah, or not. Don't do it. But if you want to do it, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Uh, if you have listened to both episodes, thank you. We're really excited about the idea of each story bringing on more listeners and getting you guys interested in hearing more people's stories. Yeah, I love that idea. I love the idea that people listening for one reason one week because they attached themselves to a particular story. Now are, they're on board for some completely different story from a different person. With, uh, with a different thing to talk about. I've Got One is supported by... Nobody, financially. But hopefully all of you, emotionally.